Welcome to Back to Basics series. And in this episode, we are going to answer the question, is a healthy weight loss possible? This is a repost from an original episode that first aired in the summer of 2019, episode 192. We are taking a break from creating original episodes for the Beyond the Food show for the period of July 2020, while we work and concentrate our creative juices to create a revolutionary project, something that will change life and change the industry. And this will be coming forth in August 2020. To be the first to know about this secret project, join the waitlist at stephaniedozier.com slash coming, or use the link in the show notes. The Back to Basics series is brought to you by BetterHelp Online. BetterHelp, not helped, help, H-E-L-P, is an online counseling service provider that I have personally been using for months now for my own healing journey. BetterHelp is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's actually professional counseling done securely online. I can log into my account anytime, sends a message to my counselor. I can schedule a weekly video or a phone session. Now, the reason why I love BetterHelp is for their commitment to a great therapeutic match. And if it doesn't work for you in the first appointment, you can change your counselor at any time. And because it's online, it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, plus financial aid is available. So if you think this can help you, I've arranged with BetterHelp to give you a 10% discount for a community member, but you must use the special link that I've arranged with them. So all you have to do is visit betterhelp.com slash beyondfood. And that's better help, H-E-L-P, slash beyond food. I hope this serves many of you. Ready? Let's do this. Hello, sisters. Welcome back to the Beyond the Food Show. And today is a day where we tackle a question I've been avoided for so long. Healthy weight loss. And is there such a thing? The other question we're going to tackle today is, All the variation around, I feel uncomfortable in my body, and the only solution that I see is to lose weight. It could be uncomfortable, sexy, like there could be different qualitative, but it's all around that. These are the two questions we're going to tackle today, so stay tuned for that. Now, in the world of Beyond the Food, there's a lot going on right now. We are in our last week of the Intuitive Eating Project, and I've been posting on Instagram and Facebook some of the reaction and the feedback of the student in the program, and the transformation are just amazing. It's a very short program centered around intuitive eating principle. We learn two principles every single week, and the ladies have profound transformation and huge aha moment around food, which then through posting this on social media led me to use stories. If you're not an Instagram person, you probably will not understand what I'm talking here. But if you are on Instagram, you got to check out my stories because I do a lot of conversation with you, the follower, 
And I've been posting a lot of mini questionnaires and survey and kind of get the feel of who you are and what you need from me. And I did a short survey on the biggest struggle you're having with food right now. And the short survey said that 95% of the women following me either were on a keto diet, had been on a keto diet, but 95% of them struggle with keto. Drum roll, right? Nothing surprising for me and for the long-term people that have gone through the going to beyond the food method. So I decided to do our monthly live workshop all around that. So every month I do something free where you can come in and do a live session with me. And this month is on June the 19th at 7 p.m. EST. The link to save your seat will be in the show note. We only have a hundred seats because it costs me money to host those workshops. So if you want to come in, be sure to go and save your seat. If you are driving right now, remember this URL, stephaniedozy.com slash workshop. And the title of the workshop is Keto's Not Working For You. Here's why. Discover the five step to know why keto's not working for you and you can stop struggling. That you are on the strict keto, lazy keto, or perhaps you're not on keto, you're still on paleo, or perhaps you're counting macros, or you're calorie counting, or you're fasting. Anything to do with food restriction, I call it keto because 95% of you are at that place. But if you're other thing than keto, even Weight Watcher, and you're struggling and you want to know what's missing, come to that workshop. It is going to change your entire perspective on why your diet is not working. So today's topic is a Q&A. It's a question that I gathered from you, again, through the medium of Instagram story and also through Facebook through the the private message function. And the question were, guess what? Mostly around body weight, feeling uncomfortable, feeling unsexy, having a new job and, and having to lose weight for the job. And bottom line is, is there a healthy way to lose weight? So that's what we're going to tackle. Now, the very first question is not going to be directly about weight loss, because we're going to build to that. The very first one is from a new follower on the platform of Instagram. Her name is Wendy. And Wendy asked, how closely or often do you, me, Stephanie, track your weight and why? Oh my God, such a good question. Thank you very much, Wendy, for that question. First of all, I want to validate the behavior of checking and tracking weight. This is a behavior that's been taught to us by our environment, most frequently to through our mom, our sisters, our girlfriend. Everybody talks about their weight at the water fountain at work. We see it on movie, we see it on TV. It's like brushing our teeth. For us women, weighing ourselves is that same type and category of behavior. So it makes perfect sense that you're wondering, what do I do or what other women do in the context of food freedom? So 
understanding that, I want you, Wendy, and all of you listeners to understand that checking our weight or using any type of tracking tool is something that is a tool used by diet culture, that culture that teaches us that we need to be thin, and the way to achieve thinness is to diet, that's what we call diet culture, use the tool of tracking to keep us into the diet culture. It's like their weapon of choice to keep us aligned to their belief that we must be thin to be healthy, to be happy. And their tool of choice is the scale. And in today's world is also the food scale, right? So what you have to realize is that scales were not in homes till about the mid-40s, early 50s, perhaps the 60s. There was no such thing as a body weight scale in a human being home. The reason why the body weight scale entered our home was through diet. It was to make us focus on the weight, make us afraid of gaining weight or afraid of not losing weight. So we buy into the culture and the $67 billion industry that's behind this culture, which is a weight loss industry. That created the phenomenon that our body is now an object. And this object needs to go on a scale to validate its worth. That's what the scale is in the, in the industrial context. If you, and I went to the Google machine before writing the show notes today, and I look history of the scale. Scale have been in use in, in the human experience for hundreds and thousands of years in the field of merchandise, in the field of weighing product to sell it. Scales were mainly in port where merchandise would come in on a boat and then they would weigh it to attribute a value to it. We took this exact same principle and we attached it to our body. Our worth as a woman is attached to our body weight. Crazy, right? Can you guys sift with this for just a few seconds? That's what scales do. So to answer your question, Wendy, do I weigh myself? I did weigh myself for, I don't know, probably perhaps started, I probably started when I went to Weight Watcher at 12 and it likely stopped in my early 40s when I started to uncover everything that I'm teaching today. So for perhaps a good 28 years, I weighed myself and it made my day. I weighed myself every morning and either made my day or destroyed my day, right? And that's the same for the women that I work with. And, and I've had people who've developed an addiction to the scale. I've had three people in the academy in the last year who weighed themselves up to seven times a day. Their entire relationship to food was about the weight on the scale. So they would jump on the scale before a meal to decide how much they would eat. And then they would jump on the scale after the meal to know if they had enough or too much to consume. 
That's the other hand of the spectrum, right? For me, I was a weigh myself every morning. Today, I don't weigh myself at all. I actually professionally don't recommend anyone weigh themselves because of all the trauma we've had in our entire life associated with our weight on the scale. It activate our nervous system to react in a certain way. So for now, as it stands today in 2019, my recommendation is that we don't weigh ourselves because it takes away from our ability to be intuitively feeding ourselves and intuitively taking care of our body. So that's my short midterm answer to that question. That's what I do. That's what I recommend that that we do. And then for you, Wendy, I would ask, what are you getting behind weighing yourself? What are you trying to get out of this experience of stepping on a scale? The next question is Dion. Dion says, I'm okay with gaining weight, but I seem to keep gaining little by little. And I know because of my clothes. How much weight do I gain eating intuitively before it's enough? So first of all, I want to validate for Dion and all of you out there how difficult emotionally, mentally it is to gain weight. We live in a society that is laden with weight stigma and fat phobia, And for many of us, if not most of us here, our biggest fear in our life has been gaining weight. From the first moment we realized that we needed to lose weight to the moment, even when we start eating intuitively, the biggest fear we need to negotiate is gaining weight. And It is traumatic. So I'm a trauma-informed practitioner, and my company is a trauma-informed company. So within all of our program, we have a lens of understanding how the experience of our clients and our patient correlate with trauma. And what I can say to you is the experience of gaining weight, of stepping on the scale, The experience of judging our body is traumatic to the human system. And that is lodged. It happened within our nervous system. And so therefore, when you start gaining weight and you have this visceral reaction of not liking it, of not wanting to gain weight, it's not you deciding that you're not going to want to gain weight. It's viscerally within your nervous system driving you to be anxious, to be afraid, to be in a state of fear. So understanding that, because you're talking about intuitive eating, I assume that the way in which you learn intuitive eating also taught you to be present in your body, to be mindful, right? To be in with the hunger and the fullness. Therefore, I'm going to ask you to take that skill set that you learn and apply it to the experience of gaining weight. What does it feel in your body? What happens in your body when you think about that, when you see it in your clothes? What goes on into your emotion? And then through the process of mindfulness, which 
in all of our program, we teach through breath. You want to bring back safety to your emotion, to your body through the experience of gaining weight. Now, we also need to stimulate the logical aspect of your brain. It's very good to bring safety through mindfulness and to breath to reteach your nervous system not to be afraid of weight gain. But we also need to work on the logic aspect of this because you've been trained, so as most women, to not want to gain weight because it was a danger for your health, for your happiness, for being accepted in society, to find a lover, to have a enjoyable sexual intercourse. All of those symptoms, all of those aspects of your life are tangled with your body weight. So you need to look at that aspect of it and ask yourself, so what am I fearing? What am I afraid of in gaining weight? And is that fear true? So most people, when I say, what are you afraid of gaining weight? The first thing that will come out of their mouth almost automatically is, well, I want to be healthy. So we've had a number of shows that talked about this. So I'm not going to entertain that question today, but I would refer you to our show on health at every size. So you can be healthy even if you gain weight. Let's get that out of the question. But the point is the experience of challenging your belief. The other thing I want to talk about to this question is, is there a limit? Because from the question, Dion doesn't look like she's weighing herself, but she's feeling it through her clothes and she's afraid there is a limit to how much she should gain weight. So this whole aspect of controlling weight is actually through a system in our body called set point. Now, we're going to have an entire show upcoming in July dedicated to set point with a specialist from Europe on set point. So I'm going to leave that aside, but I want to say that set point is the weight range in which your body function optimally and that your body is able to maintain weight naturally with zero effort. So your set point is something that it's a mechanism inside of your body that happens automatically. And it maintains your weight without any effort, no restriction of food, no exercise, it just maintains. And that's what we see in people who have had a stable weight their entire life. And we all have some of those in our life where we're probably 150 pounds in high school. And by the time they're 50, they're perhaps 155, right? They've been stable their entire life because their set point was at 150 pounds their whole life. Now, most of us in this community here have had dieting experience, which impacts our set point. And that has been demonstrated through a kind of a research. It's a theory. It is not a full-on study, but it's a theory that was pulled out of the Biggest Loser experiment where they tracked the 2008 competitor of the Biggest Loser in the United States for the following six years. So from 2008 to 2014, they tracked their weight 
and their metabolism. Metabolism is the closest thing we know in science to set point. We don't have a tool to measure set point. There's very little research on set point, actually, because it doesn't go well with dieting and weight loss. So who's going to fund research on set point when it's going to demonstrate that diet doesn't work? Get what I'm saying? So there's very little research on set point, but the closest thing we have is metabolism measurement. And for the biggest loser, they've looked at the 14 competitor and six years after the massive weight loss, 13 out of the 14 competitor regain all of their weight. And for some, more. And they had all of them, the 14 of them out of 14, had a massive drop in their metabolism rate, which then increased their set point. Only one out of the 14 was able to maintain their weight loss. We talk about this in depth in the Beyond the Food Health Mastery Program, but just let me say this, this person is a woman who works at maintaining her weight loss two hours a day. She will, in an interview after the research and the study, she says that she has to do one and a half hour of exercise every day, morning and night, six days a week. And she has to spend half an hour throughout the day to measure and control her food. That's how she was able to maintain weight loss. But when we measured her metabolism, she had the same drop as everyone else. Now, set point is influenced by a bunch of things. Yes, genetic are involved into this. Your glandular, your hormonal system is involved into this, which means that your emotion are involved in setting your set point, your thinking, your quality of your thoughts are involved because that commands your hormonal system. Trauma and safety is huge when it comes to set point. If you don't feel safe, one of the mechanisms that your body has is to keep the energy on your body to allow you to react to the threat in your environment. The problem is our body does not know that our life is not in danger, that it's only because we don't like our body that we feel unsafe. It's because we don't accept our body or because we don't have a good relationship with our partner. We feel stress all the time. Our body perceives that as a threat, like someone was running after you to try to kill you. The primal brain does not have the capacity to understand if it's a real threat or not. It just sees cortisols and stress Let's keep on the energy because we'll need it in the future. And then you carry weight. So bringing safety to your body is huge in trying to settle your set point. So to Dion's question, when is it enough that I gain weight? I don't know. Your body knows. We have no way of measuring that. There's no science, there's no tool behind that. But what we know is that your body wants nothing more than for you to survive. That it wants nothing more than for you to be healthy. 
So part of the process of intuitive eating to release food control means that you're trusting your body, means that you trust your innate wisdom. So in some cases for some women, when you start eating intuitively, that trust needs to extend to your whole body, not just food. But to the fact that if you're gaining weight, it's because your body believes that that is the right thing for you. Now, the fantastic news is you don't have to worry about the weight. Because we know that weight doesn't correlate to health incident. More on that on the Health at Every Size podcast. But we know that weight is not the reason why you won't be able to be happy. We know that weight won't be the reason why you won't be healthy. So you don't have to worry about weight. What you have to do is build that relationship of thrust and respect with your body. So if you're eating intuitively, which is the ultimate way of eating when it comes to body respect and body trust, then trust that if your body believes that you need to put on weight, it's because it's the right thing for you at this point. Instead of focusing on weight, focus on your health. And that is the last principle of intuitive eating, right? Honor your health, gentle nutrition. It's about looking at your health beyond weight. So how can you take care of your body mentally emotionally, spiritually, and beyond food and exercise physically, what else can you do to bring health to your physical body? Part of intuitive eating is accepting that the weight you logically most want may not be compatible with the body that you have. And that's what's called body respect and body acceptance, principle eight of intuitive eating. So Dion, continue your relationship of respect and trust towards your body that you build in intuitive eating and start extending it to your weight as well. Question number three is from Enna. Enna says, thank you, Stephanie, and I love you. Love you too, sister. Right now I have a new job in a musical that requires me to dance a lot. I love dancing. So is it wrong to still want to lose weight just because I don't feel comfortable in my actual one. So Enna and everyone who doesn't feel comfortable in their body, I want to validate your desire to lose weight because that is in constant alignment to society standards around what a woman's body should look like, weight stigma and fat phobia. So it's not wrong Enna that you want to lose weight. However, all the research to date on intuitive eating and health at every size, which is over a hundred study as of 2019, proves and demonstrate that focusing on weight loss is failure every time. Meaning that when your pursuit behind restricting food exercising, or even a new new world of wellness diet of, quote, fixing your hormones, or fixing your gut, what your true desire is, is to finally lose the weight that is 100% 
road to failure when it comes to weight loss. Because we can't force our body into a system of weight loss. When we focus our behavior, our benchmark of our success, our end goal with weight loss, it fails because now it may work in short term. We've all experienced that. We lose the weight and then we gain it back. So when I talk about success, I talk about permanent weight loss, right? Now, if you want to lose 20 pounds and keep it up for three months, you likely can do it with a diet, which will have a ripple effect on your set points, which will make it harder for you in the future. But beyond that, yeah, you can lose 20 pounds, but 95% of people who will lose the 20 pounds will regain it all. And here's the key thing here. We know that 95% of people who lose the weight regain it within one to five years, and what we're starting to observe now is that the remaining 5% of people who keep it off actually demonstrate eating disorder behavior. Meaning, just like the contestant in Biggest Loser, that 5%, that one out of the 14 who maintain their weight loss have to exert extreme control on food. She had to weigh and measure everything. She still does probably to this day. And she has to work out 90 minutes a day. That's eating disorder behavior. So to be successful with weight loss, that's what you have to do at this point because there's no methodology that we can lose weight safely, effectively, and long-term. So what can you do, Edna? You can take weight out of the equation. You can stop weighing yourself. You can stop chasing weight loss and instead work on that, quote, feeling uncomfortable. And we'll talk about that in an upcoming question when we talk about feeling uncomfortable in our body with Shirley's next question. But bottom line is this, feeling uncomfortable is an emotion, It's a feeling. The word you use says that it's a feeling that's an emotion that you have. Often women will describe that with their belly. They'll say, I feel uncomfortable because my belly gets in the way. So yes, physically, the belly gets in the way, but that doesn't require you to feel uncomfortable. It's because you are attaching an emotion to the belly getting in the way. So I want you to do this work instead and not. The other thing I want all of you to understand is that (laughs) there is a ton of athletes out there that are overweight. So when we did the body acceptance challenge, which I hope most of you joined us in, I shared with you four athletes, marathon runner, yoga teacher, different group of people who, although were, quote, overweight, were actually full-on athletes. So I will link to those three people in the show notes. So stephaniedozi.com slash 192. I would highly recommend that you go and follow those people so you can start working into the emotional, mental aspect of feeling uncomfortable and believing that your weight set the limit for you to dance. And then from there, you can start 
releasing the feeling uncomfortable. So, and that there's nothing wrong with you. You just got to change your lenses. Next question is Shirley. And Shirley is all about this feeling uncomfortable. So let me read the question. I'm wondering how to reconcile being in a bigger body, trying to do movement that make me happiest, which in my case is running. I love running for the mental benefit as much as the physical benefit, but these days it makes me uncomfortable. Or maybe it's more the I feel in capital bolded letter uncomfortable when I'm running, which in turns robs the enjoyment and the piece of running that always brought me to that place. This morning, I ended up not even going out because I felt like a mini panic attack just thinking about going and how awful it would feel to go running. It is not about the physical pain, but the physical awkwardness and the self-consciousness plus the discomfort of the movement. So Shirley, I want to acknowledge this whole feeling uncomfortable. All of you out there, totally normal. Totally, totally normal. Recognize it for what it is. It is a feeling. It is an emotion that is created in your body. So if you are not a student of mine, you perhaps do not know the anatomy of an emotion or a feeling. So let me explain very quickly how an emotion and a feeling is created. It's created by you observing an event in your life. Some data information comes into your brain. And then that information is put through the lenses of your perspective. Your perspective being your belief, your past experience, diet culture, society standards. So Shirley goes out for running and then in her head, runners are lean, thin people who perhaps wear shorts and tank tops and go at a certain pace. So she has this perspective of what a runner should be. So she looks at herself running. There's a conflict in her head between what she thinks it should be and what it actually is. And that conflict then create a thought, "Uh uh-oh, not working well. Right? That thought then travels through the nervous system and then creates a, an emotion, aka a feeling. And then in her case, it created that mini panic attack. That mini panic attack is the nervous system reacting to the thought that she's having that something is wrong with her body attempting to run. It's a hundred percent a mental game. So the solution to Shirley and the simple fact that you had a panic attack says to me that there is a lot of conflict in your mind around what it should be the experience of running versus what it is. And it's linked likely to weight stigma and fat phobia. So the process of body acceptance working through the layer of accepting your body is the solution to you going back and enjoying running. The other thing for you, Shirley, that I would definitely do is follow those people that we shared in a body acceptance project that will also be linked in the show note, Stephanie Dozier 192. So you can start bringing in, in your perspective, in that filter in your mind, different data points. You will see 
women like you running, not only running like just for the fun of it, they're running marathons and Ironman. They're trainers. They have like an entire Louise Green, for an example, as an entire online platform dedicated to training plus size women. Like, there's a world out there of people just like you, Shirley, at the athlete level. So you got to bring those data point to change your perspective, change your glasses, change the way you see life so that you will change your thinking pattern, which will in turn change your emotion. The other thing I would say for you, Shirley, is to move from judgment to curiosity. That's a big principle for all of you out there. When we start feeling uncomfortable in our body, it's an emotion. It's a data point. What is in there for you to learn? Instead of reacting to the thought, pull yourself out of it and look at the situation and say, oh, how interesting is this? I'm having uncomfortable thought. I'm having discomfort. I'm having judgment around what my body look like and perform. How interesting. Where is that coming from? And that's a big for all of us. Instead of reacting to our thoughts, we should be curious about them and understand, hmm, how did my brain got to think that way? What is in my belief? What is in my perspective? Which glasses am I wearing that creates that thought? Now, granted, many of you don't understand this whole educational piece behind it. Hint, you should be doing some of my program if you don't. So you can then put your thinking in a completely different perspective. And you will no longer be the victim of your thoughts your judgmental thoughts, but instead you become curious. You're like, huh, how interesting. I'm wondering what is in there for me to learn. And then you learn to ride the wave of your emotion. You become emotionally intelligent and so forth. And then you stop feeling uncomfortable in your body. So for me, surely there's two things. Number one, Start following those accounts that are in the show notes. And then two, start getting curious instead of judging towards your thoughts. Next question is from Sheila. Sheila asks, how do you get rid of or deal with that little voice in your head that says negative thoughts when you want to believe that gaining weight or accepting your body is okay? Or maybe you, Stephanie, didn't have that voice that pops up unexpectedly. Or is it just a matter of time before it goes away? Totally normal. I want to say to you guys, this question is the question that we should all be asking. Okay? So Sheila is at a level of awareness that brings her to question her thinking. So she's moving from being a victim of thinking to being a master of her thoughts. She's just stuck in the middle right now wondering, is that normal what I'm seeing in my brain? Totally normal. And you don't have to get stuck there. So the first thing I want you to know, Sheila, is 
it will not just go away with time. That is not how the brain function. Those negative thoughts about your body and about weight gain are popping up because you have beliefs, you have perspective, you have diet culture that is screaming louder. The old beliefs are screaming louder than the new beliefs. So there's a switch in those beliefs that needs to happen. And when it does, it's going to create a new thinking pattern. So unless you intentionally work on shifting that thinking, the negative thoughts about your body won't go away because your primal brain will always win to react on what you believe to be a threat. So somewhere in your brain, there is a threat, there is a fear around gaining weight and accepting your body. And it's likely a gift of diet culture. So to master your mind, you must befriend your mind. So if you haven't listened yet to podcast 191 with Carol Lowentail, go and listen to that. That's her entire professional career is on thought work. You're going to have to work at it. So to answer your last question, is it just a matter of time before it go away? No, you're going to have to put in the effort. Now, I want to introduce something else to all of you. When I say often doing the work, when women come from a background of dieting, they automatically go to exercising physically, restricting food, cooking new food, meal plan, all of that stuff. They think, you think, I thought, that was work because it's physical, it's restrictive, it's painful. Doing the work when it comes of beyond the food, it's actually mental, emotional, and spiritual work, which is actually not exertion at all. It's actually you, part of, of your work, Sheila, is to learn to sit in silence. Mindfulness is by small increment of perhaps two minutes a day and build up to up to 15 minutes a day where you can sit with your thought and be the observer of your thoughts rather than the victim of them. That's what it means by doing the work. So when you hear this expression, it's not what we're used to when we come from a diet background. And for some, that's offending. Now, here's the next thing that happened. And that happens to most of my students is that they realize that sitting quiet is 10 times harder than being on the treadmill for 30 minutes. I know it makes no sense, but working on our thoughts and our emotion is harder than physical exertion in the spirit of dieting. And that's why many people back away when they try on their own because they don't have a structure approach, they don't have a coach, and then they just give up. So I want to welcome you to that work, Sheila, and say, as you start evolving into that work, whoever is going to guide you through this, it won't be easy. It won't require sweating, but it will require compassion and patience from you so that you can take control of your thinking. Next question. And the last one, that one is from Mandy. 
Mandy is questioning weight gain and sexiness. My fear of weight gain is that I won't feel sexy. I don't mean that my husband won't find me sexy. I mean, I won't feel, capital L, capital F-E-E-L, sexy. So how do I get over that and make peace with it? Would love your thoughts on this. Thank you. So Mandy, you've put the keyword in bolded capital letter, feeling sexy. So it is the same path as feeling uncomfortable. So I want to validate this fear of feeling not sexy or unsexy because, oh my God, we are sold that everywhere. The sexy woman is a white, tin, six-pack ab woman. I mean, do we ever see someone that has loose skin on an ad of a perfume, a cosmetic company, or even underwear or bras? No, we don't. 99% of the time is the white, tin woman syndrome. So you're sitting there saying, I'm afraid of it because... A, you've never been exposed to this. You don't have any reference point, data point in your head to say that sexy can actually be at a bigger, non-ideal body weight. So that's your first job, is to go find sources of sexy women at any weight and size. Bring body diversity into this range of sexiness. Instagram is beautiful for that because that's the purpose of Instagram is to show bodies, right? So I would go explore that. The other thing is I would recognize that it's only a feeling. So once you start changing your data point in your head, this thought will then derive a new feeling. It's as simple as that. So you got to change the data point to change the thought, which will derive a feeling of sexiness. The other exercise in the context of this that is very effective is having a conversation with the partner. I've seen nothing but success with that. I know you mentioned in your question, it's not about my husband, but it's still about your husband. You're in a male-female relationship, So I would highly recommend that, though you may not think it's important, it is. So have that conversation of what it means to be sexy with your partner in the context of your relationship. It will help and contribute to you forming a new perspective on sexiness. Because for now, there's a kind of, I call it a disc error. Remember the old computer where you had to put a disk in the computer and it was disk error? Right now, there's a disk error around sexiness in your brain, which is for most women too, right? So you got to pull the old disk and put a new disk in, which will then operate the computer in a completely different way. Part of that disk is data point, image, body diversity, but it's also conversation with the sexual partner. How was that, guys? I think those questions were amazeball. I would love to do more of these. So you got to supply me with 
questions. So in the show notes, stephaniedoze.com slash 192, you will find a little space where you can send your question. So as you listen to this and you've got more questions, please submit them there or also reach out to me via DM or PM on Facebook and submit your question. I'd like to do one in four weeks again and explore more of those very empowering questions. So I have a homework for you as I'm trying to leave you with at the end of every show. And it is an intuitive eating journaling question because we talked a lot around being uncomfortable with weight gain in this podcast episode. I want you to reflect on this question. Is it possible that your fat, quote, extra weight is actually serving you? perhaps protecting you and or helping you cope with pain or fear? Or what is your size making you feel safe about? So reflect on that question and start exploring the purpose of your weight. What is the lesson behind your body weight and how can you learn from it and release the fear. So I hope you're going to join us on the next Q&A show and also on the June 19 workshop. Remember to sign for that workshop. It's free and we only have a hundred place left. If you get to that and you can't register because we're all booked up, grab at least your intuitive eating guide. and Perhaps we'll see you on the next intuitive eating project, which will start on June 24th. It's coming up. The one group is graduating and the next group is starting a week after. I love you ladies. And I look forward to hang out with you in the next episode. <music>